Hey, what's going on? Pastor Jay here with Portrait Church. Portrait Church exists to give people a renewed picture of Jesus and his church. And in this series, that is our goal. There's many pictures and different caricatures that the world presents that are honestly false images of who Jesus is. And we want to take this series and hear from Jesus himself and what he has to say about who he is. So we hope that this message series leaves you more impressed with Jesus and leaves you with a greater understanding of who he is. If you would like to know more about our church, you can find us online at portrait.church or look us up on social media or find us on Sundays over at the Mitten Building in Redlands. Hope to see you soon. And I hope you enjoyed this message. We are in a series called Renewed Jesus, because as Troy so greatly put it, there are many different caricatures of who the world is trying to get us to think about who Jesus is. And it is so true that the biggest questions and the best questions that you can ask are who is God and what is he like? That's what we talked about last week. That asking those questions are so formative to your character and who you are and who you will become and how you will treat people. Your view of God and your, your understanding of his character shapes everything that you do. Everything. And so last week we heard this God speak his very personal name to Moses. There was this burning bush and he says, I am And then he says, I am that I am, because I am going to be the only one that defines who I am. And we see this word to be translated Yahweh. This I is personal. He's not some distant figure ruling and reigning, but he is personal. He is Yahweh, which means I am. Everything about him is now. And everything about him will be. He goes on to describe his character In Exodus 34, as compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful, rich in forgiveness, full of justice. He's always those things all the time. He is never not those things. He is never not gracious. He is never not slow to anger. He is never not faithful. And the thing about pursuing who this God is, is it's so good because he's never going to change on you. Never going to change. No matter how you feel about your performance in life or the things that you maybe did well or messed up, he's not going to change. But you can. You could see him differently for who he is. And so now we get to a moment in this story with Moses where God uses this man, Moses, to free his people under the slavery of of Egypt and Pharaoh. And then he sends them out. And what he does is he uses this moment not just to reveal himself to a singular person, but he begins to reveal himself to the masses. So if you ever have read the story of Exodus in the wilderness, and sometimes it's depicted in, in TV shows and movies, but what happens is these people get freed and they're hungry. They're hungry. Like, Moses, we ain't got no food, brother. There's like, no, we can't stop nowhere. Like, we're in the wilderness. Moses, we're hungry. And so what does God do? He provides manna from heaven. He provides bread. And I think this is so significant because bread, you begin to see, is like 
woven all throughout scripture. Like when God wanted these people to remind them of his provision, he sends them manna, which is bread. When God um, wanted uh, them to remember this big story of freeing them all across the generations, he gave them bread. He gave them the Passover, this meal. He gives them bread. When Jesus was tested in the wilderness, Satan was trying to, to, um, trying to, to lie to him and be deceitful, and he tempted him with bread. Turn these stones into bread. When Jesus wanted everyone to understand what they were about to witness in his crucifixion, it was bread that he broke, that he gave. You see, in the book of John, where we read these seven I am statements, we also see these seven different signs in this book that, that, that Jesus performed. Because seven, in the Hebrew, it means completion. It's complete. So we ought to, if we want to get a complete picture of who he is, this is why we're going to go through all seven of them. The first sign, Jesus is at this wedding. And like sometimes, uh, you know, my wife and I, we've been watching Chosen recently. I don't like, we could talk about it afterwards. Like we've been watching Chosen and we're just, just exploring, just checking it out. And, and what's been interesting to us is like, it's so fascinating to think about like the humanity of Jesus, right? Like it's, sometimes it's hard to like, we put him in this lofty and it like, and so I was thinking as I was reading this, like, y'all, Jesus was invited to a wedding. Like he must've had some sort of social credibility, right? Like, you know, some of y'all in here are like, shoot, when's the last time I've been invited to a wedding? I don't know, maybe people don't like you. I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't know, I'm not, I'm not just projecting on you. We could, we could talk about it, we'll pray afterwards, I don't know. But you ever just, Jesus was like invited to a wedding. Like he was, he was there, he was on the guest list. And so what he does is this, the, the, the wine runs out and his mom's like, can you do something? And he's like, y'all got some water. We got some jugs. Bam. First miracle. He turns water into wine. And all the, all the Baptist people are like, what y'all talking about? Is that in there? Yeah, it's in there. Water to wine. I didn't, it didn't say cranberry juice, y'all. It said wine. But then the second sign comes when he heals the official's son. And then the third sign comes where he heals this lame man. And here we are on the backdrop of his fourth sign. Some call it and know it as the, the feeding of the 5,000. This story is in every single gospel, one of the very few. And at this point, as we enter in, and you can track with me in, in John chapter 6, as we enter into the story, Jesus is trending on TikTok, y'all. He's trending. He's popping. Sorry, popping. He's popular. He's going, you know, he is, word of him has spread because he had done all these miraculous signs. So now he's trending and people are like, hey, we need to get around this, this guy. He's doing some incredible things. And so they're there just before the Passover, Jewish Passover festival, looks up, sees this great crowd, and, and we have to understand the 5,000 that they're talking about is just the men. We're not talking about women and children, so you could potentially assume there's upwards of 15 to 20,000 people here, okay? Jesus looks down, looks up, looks over to his guys and is like, yo, where should we get some bread? 
Like, Jesus, you see how many people? And, and so Philip, he rightly is calculating. He looks down and he's like, huh, okay, yeah, there's a lot of people looking and talking to money. He's like, Jesus, we, we don't have enough bread for these people. He actually goes on to say, he, he, he says, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So basically, they hear Jesus ask this question, and then they look at logistically what, what's happening, and he comes to the conclusion that this, this is not possible. And then it makes me wonder, like, Jesus, if you know it's not possible, why on earth are you asking them to get bread? You ever think about that? Why on earth would you ask them a question that you knew was impossible? And oftentimes in scripture, because it says he asked this only to test him. And oftentimes what you see in scripture is this word test. And we often can associate it to, we naturally associate it to things like, you know, that, that teacher that would always do that pop quiz or that test that was, some of y'all love the open book test or some of y'all even love the test where you got a three by five card and you got to write all your notes and use that on the test. Y'all know which one I'm talking about? Y'all was writing so small on there, it didn't even help you because you can't read it. And I remember in college, I used to have a teacher that would just, it would drive us crazy because he, 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 he just delighted in giving pop quizzes and tests. Just, just evil delighted, just like so excited for us to fail. I'm like, you know, that's a representation of you, right? Like if we fail in this, you the teacher. So anyways, 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 I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'll get better. But here's the thing that we have to understand when we consider the way Jesus tests people. You see, a test is, you have to consider who's the one giving you the test. Does that person have your best interest in mind? Because the way that we should look at the way Jesus tests us is more along the lines of Jesus is training us. He's training them in this moment. So he knows that, yeah, Philip, you don't have enough. And so in comes Andrew and he brings with him this little boy. He's like, Jesus, look, it's the only little boy that came. Look what we have here. We got some five small loaves and two fish. Like, <laughs> if I'm Andrew, I'm thinking like, are we actually going to bring this to Jesus? Like, this does not make any sense. And if I'm the little boy, I'm like, y'all ain't taking my food. Like, peanut butter and jelly's not coming with you. And so all of a sudden, we, we see that Jesus takes what this little boy gives. And then he, and he, he, he thanks God, he blesses it, and all of a sudden, it multiplies as it's distributed. So much so that it says everyone got their full, to, everyone was full and they had leftovers. We got to, I want us to, this isn't the main part of the story, but we can learn something from this little boy. Just like I'm learning something from this little four-year-old worshiping in here with us. Is that this little boy brought everything that he had. Everything that he had. 
You see, what we can learn is that we often measure the need, quantify it, name our inadequacies, then bow out to hopelessness. But the key here is to surrender to God what you have. Surrender. Just give me what you have. And you know what I love here? Jesus doesn't, this little boy brings it, he doesn't say, man, what y'all bringing me this amount for? This ain't good enough. Jesus is not discouraged by how much this little boy offers. He's not discouraged by it. He takes it. And here's what I want us to sit in this brief reality, that God can do more with limited resources because his resources are without limit. He can meet all of your needs and more. He can take what doesn't look like much and actually make it look like much. He can do that. And so many of you, even, this is just a sidebar for you, many of you are even calculating the inadequacies of what your financial situation looks like. You're calculating the inadequacies of how your marriage is right now. You're calculating the inadequacies of what your kids are acting like. You're calculating your inadequacies of not getting that job or being overwhelmed in school. You're calculating all your inadequacies and God is just simply saying, bring me what you have. We're trying to calculate and say, oh, I don't know. See, this is what the performance metrics and, and, and the schematics of church and, and, and those re- super hyper-religious spaces will make you believe that you got to have all the right adequate amount of things and you got to have the right behavior and all these things and then you can go to God and give him what you need. No. He says, give me, give me what you have. I, I'm not, that's all you got? That's fine. I, I've worked with a lot less. Matter of fact, I've worked with nothing and I created everything. So some of us here need to be encouraged by this little boy that they actually just brought what they have. And God is calling you to do that. Bring me what you have right now because my resources are without limit. And so everyone is amazed at this point. Leftovers, listen to what it says at the end of the verse in, in, in chapter uh, 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Y'all, what? This is so counter the way people pursue status and power and authority in our world. Jesus is like, they're looking at him like, yo, this is the guy. He can provide everything. He could just do this. And look at, we got the extra bread. We got leftovers. Oh, we need to make him king for what he could do for us. But Jesus is like, no. You know why? Jesus withdraws. Because he knows that the way of obtaining the kingdom has got to be through the cross. How many leaders and people in our world that you know, they get a little bit of popularity, they get a little bit of a, a viral sensationness to them, and they just, oh, they, they seize the opportunity. Oh, I, I want to leverage this opportunity. Jesus does not leverage this opportunity because he knows he still needs to go to the cross. So he withdraws from popularity. 
he withdraws from them doing it by force. Yo, this is, this is countercultural to our society. And so Jesus does this. And then there's this short story about how he walks on water, read it, it's amazing. But he does that. And, and in the book of Mark, when he walks on water, he's like, they still, they didn't get the bread. They didn't understand it. And he's about to break it down, what he means by that. Because in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered to them because they're like, yo, where did rabbi, teacher, the, all the people found him because, you know, everyone's been looking for him. Like, we saw what you did. And then finally he shows up. Where you been? Where you been? They're all excited that he's back. And in verse 26, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I perform, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, God, the father has placed his seal of approval. Oh, Jesus is smart, y'all. He's smart because they start questioning, where you been? Man, we've been looking for you. He's like, uh-huh, y'all been looking for what I can do for you. You haven't been looking for me. You, you feel that? Like how many, if we're being honest, I think, I think one of the dangerous traps about in, in Christianity that we can all fall to, myself included, is that we become so in love with what God can do that we don't fall in love with who he is. Or better yet, they wanted the provision, not the person. They wanted the provision, not the person. You see, what these people struggled with, which I believe a lot of us struggle with, is they felt like the solution to their deepest longing was some sort of material comfort. Oh, if you could just give us more food. Oh, if you could just give us more money. Oh, if you could just get us that next job. All these other things. But how many of us just actually ask God just for his presence? Oh, if we could just have more of you, God, how our lives and our longings would be met and changed. You see, we have turned into uncontrollable consumers in our day. Corporate and social media strategies want you to consume and consume and consume. And everything is about keeping you on a device and consuming more. Half of your living rooms right now wouldn't look the way it did if you didn't have Instagram. Be honest. Be honest. You really didn't need that sofa that washes your feet and massages your cheeks at the same time. You didn't need it. But Instagram told you that you, you had to have it. You see, the problem is our world is dead. And you see this show up in the church. You see this show up in the church. What can the church do for me? Come in and, and you can consume and you consume. And you can go to incredible worship services and you can go to incredible opportunities and events and you can still be hiding from God. Still be hiding from him. And so sadly... Many of us can be seduced by the world and Satan to believe that there are satisfying securities apart from God. That there are other things that can satisfy us. And Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which I give you. 
He's reminding people that you may want me to change your circumstances, but I want to change your soul. You may want me to come in and do a quick fix, but there's something deep down inside that if I were to fix it too quick, you would still be dependent on you and not me. You still would be dependent on the things I do and not just my presence itself. And so we have to know that it is God who can meet all of our spiritual needs, our relational needs, our deep, deep longings, because that's what he's getting at here. And so he says this, and then classic, they ask him in verse 28, cool, what must we do to do the work that God requires? What do we got to do? And he's like, nah, I'm going to tell you who you need to believe in. He says in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You want to know what the work is? It's not to go out and do more things and do all these religious things and all these like things that make you look good and morally right. No, that's not, that's not, that's not going to be it. The work that you need to do is believe in the one who sent you. It's faith. It's faith. You see, it is faith in God that frees you. It is faith in God that allows you to flourish. We're all about human flourishing, but oftentimes it doesn't often look the way of Jesus. Jesus's way of flourishing actually had to go through the cross. He left to go be by himself, not to be crowned king at that moment because he had human flourishing in mind for us. And so they ask him for a sign. And then what they say in verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? Yo, y'all don't understand what faith is. He's saying faith in the one who sent. Now they're like, oh, cool, let's see it. <laughs> Let me see it. How often have we done that? If we're being honest, I do it all the time. I'm like, God, I know you're calling me to do it, but I, like, can you show me something? It's a little something. I know the other 18 things you showed me, but like 19, yeah, 19 would be really good. 19 is the magic number. What sign will you, will you do? Our ancestors, so now we get a clue of who he's talking to. Our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, oh, so now we understand. See, they know about this story. They know about these signs. They know about it. But the problem is they didn't understand who it was coming from. You see, in verse 30, 32, it says, Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I asked you for faith, y'all, and now you want a sign? And what ends up happening in this moment is they are simply no different than many of their ancestors. Because when you read about their ancestors, oh, he would bring manna and it would come every day. But then there would come grumbling. Then there would come complaining. And even in this moment, you're going to see them begin to complain. Who is it? What, who, why is he saying this? And they're deeply troubled. Sir, give us this bread, they say. Well, Jesus declares, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am. I have decided. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the what they, they should know about bread coming down. They know about the ancestors. They didn't heard the, the, the stories they've read. So they understand this, 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 this picture that he's given them, but they don't understand it's right in front of them. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite things uh, in, in college, we used to have this phrase, it went something like this. It said, uh, don't OG a girl until you know it's serious. So some of y'all are like, what are you just saying? Look, don't take a girl to Olive Garden See, y'all got it. Some of y'all got it. Don't, don't OG a girl until you know it's serious. Don't do it. That was like, I don't know why. I don't know where we got it from. We had this, yo, y'all, we don't. And, and if we seen somebody, it's like, home, where'd you go? Uh, what, nah, where'd you go? I went to Olive Garden. Already? It's two weeks. Ain't no ring by spring. What is this? So don't OG a girl until, you know, until it's serious. And here's the thing about Olive Garden, right? Y'all, y'all, if you've ever been there, they do this crazy thing where they bring out the bread before the meal. And somehow you still decided to order your own entree when you could have easily split it because after the first round of bread, what do they do? They bring more. And now they got real smart. Oh, would you like some marinara with that? And they don't tell you it costs $8.99 until you get the bill. I'm like, I thought this was included. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. He's like, yo, I came down to be the bread that satisfies you. Like you enjoy me so much, you don't need the entrees of the world. You're going to be so full with me. You're going to be so filled with me. You don't need the other things. Y'all know that feeling because y'all been in Olive Garden and you sat there when your food came and you said, oh, Lord, how am I going to eat this? I'm so full off the bread. And so Jesus, many people may argue today that they think in this very modern and complex and sophisticated world that that Jesus is too old fashioned. He's too outdated to, to meet the deepest longings of our heart and soul. But can I tell you that Jesus absolutely knows how to satisfy the human heart because he created it. He he created the very thing that is seeking satisfaction. He created you in his image. He created the heart, the desires that he's giving you. And so the creator knows how to satisfy it because he intentionally created you and he knows you and he knows what you need. Even when, you don't, even when you don't know yourself. And so then, as we get to the end of our time, Jesus says something and he does something that is that's kind of crazy. Jesus has these sayings sometimes where you're like, what on earth did you mean by this? He says to them, verse 53, very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. 
Jesus, I'm sorry, but this sort of sounds like cannibalism. <laughs> Help me out here. And many scholars, they, they, they kind of go, you know, back and forth on what it, what's truly being said here. But I, I do think this is a very fascinating, like, marketing strategy for Jesus. This isn't like the best church growth strategy for Jesus. Because after he says all this stuff, what happens? If you continue to read, people begin to leave. There's other people who were students of him and following him. They're like, yo, eat my what? I'm out. This dude is crazy. I knew when he turned the loaves and the fit. They start to leave. And here's what Jesus and, and many would say that, that he's trying to get them to understand is he's trying to connect this uh, allusion to his death on the cross. That, that Jesus, the, the word would become flesh, that he would become the bread of life for a sinful world by laying down his life so that others may live. He's trying to point to himself, but it's really hard for them to accept it and hear it. I don't know if you know this, but raw wheat, our human stomachs, like we can't digest that stuff. So I ain't talking about wheat grass. You go to Jamba Juice and have, all, have your way with that. I'm talking about raw wheat. If you, were to, if, you were to, if you were to eat raw wheat, like you would be, at, you, you thought you was gluten-free now. <laughs> you would be absent, like your stomach would be, you can't, it, it can't, it can't process it. So what needs to happen is it needs to go through a process where the wheat is, the, the debris is removed, it's harvested, it's crushed down, it's made into flour. And you can add a few other little uh, ingredients, you can shape it. And then you, then you do this thing where you put it in the oven and you apply heat to it. And then it, and it begins to rise. And then you could take it out. You could break it. You could serve it. But the thing is, the way of Jesus, if you experience life in certain ways, his words are really hard to digest. And if you don't stay around for the processing, if you don't stay around for the the harvesting, the breaking, the shaping. If you don't stay in the heat, you're not going to be able to rise. You're not going to be able to be given. And here's the thing. I think many of you are longing for a place where you can be able to have conversations with people about some of the things Jesus said that is really hard to digest. You're longing for that place. You're longing for a place where people are willing to walk through the process with you so that you may be shaped into the way of Jesus, to, so that you may be shaped to have more character like him that are gonna encourage you when the fire hits and it's hot, but you're cooking because one day you're gonna rise and God is gonna, He's going to, like he does in the Lord's Supper, he's going to take you. He's going to bless you, but he needs to break you in order for you to be given. He does this in the Lord's Supper. He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. And then he gives the bread. He does the same thing with you if you would allow him to go through the process.
if you would allow him to actually be the most sufficient thing in your life. So the bread industry, I don't know if you know this, it's like the most, one of the most lucrative industries in the world. And there's been tons of controversy around that. Again, I, I, I'm not telling you what bread you need. I ain't like Oprah. I love bread. I ain't, I ain't doing all that. Not doing all that. But what I will tell you is what they started noticing about bread is that there's ways that you could make some shortcuts and make it taste a little sweeter, right? I, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm about to offend some of you right now. But Hawaiian sweet rolls, look, sorry. Yeah, you, you could cheer. Better read them ingredients. Because here's the thing. Listen, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we treat life like we want our bread. Let's add some more sugar. Let's add some more sweetness. We just need it to taste better. But you know what one of the most healthiest breads is out there for you? It actually has a biblical name. It's fascinating. Ezekiel bread, sprouted grain, all organic, plant-based, keto friendly all that stuff. But it doesn't have all the additives. But you know what's hard about Ezekiel bread? If you ever taste it, it don't taste like Hawaiian bread. <laughs> it don't. But here's the thing. That is the way of Jesus. It doesn't always taste as sweet as you would like it to, but it's way more nourishing than the sweetness that you're adding to the bread that you're cooking right now. He's got much better bread for you. He's got a bread that is gonna save and satisfy your soul, but you gotta get used to the taste. And some of you, you're running away from the taste because maybe of how people have presented it to you or they haven't told you that, you know what? After the first couple bites, You'll get used to it. You'll get, I promise, you'll feel better afterwards. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I know your deepest longings. I can satisfy the thing that you crave. And you know what I love about, you know, Peter in the Bible, he says a lot of weird offhanded stuff, but I think Peter got it right. Verse 68, Jesus sees all his other disciples, they just leave. He's not calling them back. He stands there and he looks at his other disciples like, y'all gonna go with him? Go ahead. And I love what Peter says in verse 68. Jesus is like, you wanna leave too, do you? Simon Peter goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Y'all, that is my prayer for us this morning. That we would leave this place and be like, God, to who, 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 where are we gonna go? We believe that you have the words to life. We believe that you are the most satisfying. We believe that you know our heart, that you created our heart, that you know the deepest longings of our soul. Where are we gonna go, God? So either we gonna get this process 
but I ain't nowhere else I'm gonna go. Would that be true of us today? Because the disciples stayed with the person, not simply for provision. They stayed with the person. And in a world that wants you, and, and you're, gonna, you're gonna take a step out of here, you're probably gonna go on your phone, you're gonna read stuff, you're gonna, you're gonna be consumed and you're gonna be taken to a different person and to a different way, but I wanna challenge you, I wanna encourage you to say, no, 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 no. This week we are gonna fight to stay with the person. We're gonna stay with the person because we know that Jesus has not revealed a life we can perfectly understand, but he has revealed a God we can perfectly trust. He's revealed a God that we can perfectly trust. A God who sees the worst in you and I, but he never leaves. A God who doesn't keep us from suffering, but who walks beside us. A God who doesn't run from when you have doubts, but a God who wants to journey with you. A God who is not afraid of your worries and anxieties, but one who says, cast them on me. I care for you. That's the God that I want us to say today, to whom, to where shall we go? You are the one true God. You are the bread of life. And we put our trust in you.